Good morning. Hey, my name is Ryan Wickstrom. I'm director of adult ministries here, and I get to introduce our new sermon series. Um, it's our Easter series, and it's going to take us from today all the way up until Easter Sunday. I'm so excited to see that the church here in Stapleton is, uh, is just you coming together and uniting to serve this community and to share um, God's love and, and God's word with this community, getting away from ourselves and really just making it all about him and his glory. And I think that makes our father happy. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to introduce this series this morning. It's called Journey to the Cross. So we're going to start today with, um, we're going to, the way we're approaching the journey to the cross, starting today, we're going to, we're going to take it uh, each Sunday and focus on a different episode within the life and ministry of Jesus as he journeys to the cross. And it's going to land us right there on Easter Sunday, six weeks from now. So today we get to start with the temptation of Jesus. It's uh, something that he, it's, it's an episode that he did prior to going out and doing ministry with uh, people. And I'm excited to talk about that and, and to share with you why uh, that had to happen before he went into his ministry as well as what happened there and how he, he won in that, in that battle of temptation against Satan. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, the following week, we're going to look at the transfiguration. After that, we will look at the cleansing of the temple, that famous episode in Jesus' life where he turns the tables over in the church. And that leads us to uh, the week right before Easter, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the passion of Jesus where he comes in obedience to the, to the Father in prayer uh, right before he's betrayed and has to go to the cross. And that will lead us to Easter Sunday where we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb that represents victory over death and sin. Uh, ultimately. And so that's a great cause for celebration. It is why we have victory today. It's why we are the church, why we have hope and eternal life with him. And so I'm excited to, to lead into, into that. So uh, we find all five, six of these episodes in the Gospels, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we find two of these episodes uh, in Ma all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, so we're going to look at um, today uh, the temptation of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke. And you find that in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And so I would encourage you, if you've got Bibles with you, to turn uh, to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time in, in that a portion of scripture today, and I'll also um, show you a couple other things in the Bible, but we're going to camp out there for the most part. And um, so let me, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. A couple, couple of things happen in the life uh, of Jesus prior to, to the temptation story that we're going to get into today. It starts with the, the Gospel of Luke starts with the, the Christmas story where Jesus is born, so Jesus is zero, and then we see him show up again, makes a cameo appearance at 12 years old in the temple where he is teaching um, in the temple. And then fast forward again to the age of 30, and he is 
baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River where he receives the Holy Spirit. And that's important. So the first thing that happens after Jesus at the age of 30 receives the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit does uh, something not maybe so nice to him and leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So kind of scary. And that's where we pick up the story today. So I'm going to read, I'm going to, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to approach this. Um, I'm going to read a couple chunks of, of this passage at a time. We're going to stop and explain them. And we're going to answer three questions today. You'll see this on your sermon notes. Uh, the first question we're going to look into today is, <clears throat> what is the significance of the temptation of Jesus? So we'll spend some time on that. Uh, the second question that we're going to answer is, uh, in these, Jesus is tempted three times in this episode by Satan. And we're going to look at how Satan, uh, how Satan goes about tempting Jesus. And um, then we're going to look at answer question number three. How does Jesus prevail over Satan in these temptations? And why is it important? So um, let's take a look, starting in um, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So stop right there and kind of take a look at... um, uh, the first question, uh, what is the significance of the temptation of Jesus? As we kind of looked at the, the way the, the Gospel of Luke is laid out, if you look right before, if you've got your Bibles, look right before chapter 4, and you see the genealogy of Jesus Christ laid out there. Uh, this tells us a couple things. One is um, Luke lays his genealogy as a Gentile would, uh, and we see this, this story in um, Matthew who also gives the genealogy of Jesus in the beginning of his gospel. The importance of that for this purpose is Matthew is a Jew and Luke is a Gentile. So their genealogies look different. Matthew takes his genealogy back to Abraham um, because he's writing from a Jewish perspective and he's the father of Israel and um, is writing to a Jewish audience. So he kind of sets the tone there with that. Luke is a Gentile, takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, which is significant here. I think Luke's kind of bringing us into the scene of the temptation of Jesus, and he gives us a little picture as to why it's important that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the, by the devil, and he wins. So, spoiler alert, Jesus wins this. But um, <laughs> So Jesus, first point here is, Jesus must win where Adam lost. What, what happened in the Garden of Eden? You don't have to answer that. I'll answer these. Um, <laughs> Adam, Adam was tempted by the devil to, to eat a piece of fruit off the, tr- uh, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. And what did he do? Again, I'll answer it. He, he succumbed to the temptation. The, Satan kind of pointed him, tempted him to eat that fruit, and he did it. Um, and so that's why we're faced with uh, sin in the world today. That's why, that's why we're in need of, of a savior and uh, in this battle before Jesus goes into his ministry, he's tempted by the devil and wins, therefore showing that he's set apart 
from all of mankind. Even though he's come into the world as a human being, he is showing here right off the bat, setting the tone that he's set apart for mankind and that he's going to win where we lost. And um, it's really important because if he loses here, he's not the Messiah and therefore we have no hope because he's not going to resurrect. He's going to go to the cross. He's not going to resurrect from the dead and we don't have victory over sin and we don't have eternal life. So Praise God for Jesus coming and doing this, setting the tone and showing us um, that he is set apart and that we can trust him. So another thing he does here is he fasts for 40 days. We can talk a lot about that, and we're not going to get into a lot of detail. But the point of that, for the purposes of this, as we go into the temptations, is Jesus is weakened in his flesh. He goes 40 days without eating. Okay, So we'll, we'll talk about that in, in just in just a minute. Um, so let's take a look at the first temptation. And we're going we're gonna to answer question number two with these. How does Satan attempt, try to tempt Jesus? Or he does tempt Jesus. How does Satan do it? Um, verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Jesus is weakened from not eating for 40 days and Satan's going to try to exploit it, right? He's going to tempt him in his flesh and by telling him to eat. And he also is going to tempt him in his pride because he calls him out as the son of God and says, you can turn these stones into bread. So Satan attacks in the flesh and in the pride. So I want to get three questions out of the way here. One is, is temptation a sin? No. Temptation's not a sin. Jesus was tempted. And, and we actually see in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way and never succumbed to these temptations. So temptation itself is not a sin. Uh, second thing is, is eating bread a sin? No. Eating bread's not a sin either. Is eating a piece of fruit sin? No. It's not. Um, but when it's in a disobedience to what God, the Father, wants, yeah, it is, as a matter of fact. So, um, and then the third thing is, do, is making bread a sin? Is miraculous bread making a sin? No. Jesus does it throughout his ministry, right? He feeds the multitudes uh, on several occasions. Uh, Jesus miraculously makes wonderful, consumable things throughout his whole ministry. His first miracle is what? Water into wine, absolutely. So, temptation is not a sin. Eating bread is not a sin. Uh, making bread is not a sin. So, what's this all about? Why, why, in this instance, is this a temptation to Jesus to go against the will of the Father into sin? If he were to do these things, it would be this. It would be a sin. The answer is, it's all about obedience. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for what purpose? to be tempted not to eat and not to make bread, not to eat or to make bread or to do any of those things, right? So he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, period. God didn't give him the go-ahead to go and eat or, or make bread or anything uh, yet. So it's all about obedience. And this whole exchange between, um, between Satan and Jesus in this episode is all about obedience to the will of the Father, and it carries through the next 
uh, five weeks throughout the whole next three years of Jesus' life and ministry. It's all about submitting to the obedience of the will of the Father. So let's take a look at temptation number two. I'm going to pick it up in verse five here. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. So. What's Satan really at the core of things getting at here? How is he trying to tempt Jesus? And it's interesting, if you're just digging deep into this, as I was studying, Satan knew what Jesus had come to the world to do. And and that's why he's here in, in in the desert, right off the bat, trying to keep him from doing what he came to do. What Jesus came to do was to go to the cross uh, so that we could have eternal salvation, so he could have victory, take on the sin of the world, and he and he's entering into three years of very um, uncomfortable and uh, humbling ministry. So Satan knew that Jesus was about to enter into a world of humility and hurt and suffering. I don't think we can imagine the amount of pain that Jesus was about to go through. Uh, when he was going to go on the cross to, and bear the sins of the world. The torture of just being crucified alone is, is enough to make you want to avoid that at all costs. But to bear the sin of the world, be, uh, I don't think we can even come close to comprehending what that would be as a human being. So Satan knew that Jesus was about to enter into a world of pain. And Jesus knew that he was about to enter into a world of pain. And so they both knew what was going on. Satan called him out as the son of God, right? So, so they knew who they were up against here. And so at the core, at the root core of this, um, Satan is offering temporary relief from suffering to Jesus. That's what he's doing here. He's offering, temp- and doesn't sin just do that to us? It offers us temporary relief from suffering or temporary gratification, but it ultimately leads to your demise. We see examples of this. Throughout, throughout, the, throughout the Bible. We see examples of this throughout our life. We, also, we see it through, from the Old Testament through the New Testament all the way up until today. So take a look at, for example, the first king of Israel, King Saul, right? He was anointed by God to be the first king of Israel, and God had favor on him and uh, gave him victory in, in a lot of battles. And in one instance, it, where, where the turning point in Saul's life was, he was given victory over the Amalekites. And God said, I'm going to give you victory over the Amalekites, but you need to leave nothing alive. Kill all the women, the children, the men, and the livestock. Don't leave anything. And what did Saul decide to do? He disobeyed God, and he didn't kill everything. He kept some of the spoils for himself, uh, left some of the women and children alive, and God removed his blessing from Saul, and sent an evil spirit on him, actually. And it tortured and tormented him until his ultimate demise where he ends up falling on his own sword. So we see it in the New Testament. The man who betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot, turns over the Messiah 
for 30 pieces of silver. Talk about ridiculous, like, small amount of, like, temporary gratitude or uh, gratification. And uh, so he did it. He regretted it pretty quick, tried to give it back. It was too late. Jesus had already been, been given up. And, uh, and what happened to Judas? Anybody know? His guts, like, burst out from him. He died that way. It was pretty awful. Um, we're also not, not uh, promised um, that life's going to be void of suffering. As a matter of fact, what Jesus came and suffered uh, for us in order to accomplish the will of the Father. So uh, going along with the will of the Father doesn't, doesn't necessarily promise um, good times, um, but you are in the will of the Father and obedient, and I believe uh, these people who have been o- obedient to him uh, throughout their lives and ministries in, in the Bible, I'll give you a couple examples of that, uh, are sitting with him today and, and not feeling any pain or suffering. We see in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, for example, is very faithful for quite some time sharing the word of God as a prophet. And then a lot of the stuff that he had to share wasn't very popular. And as a matter of fact, he was repaid by, by being the prophet of God to his people by being cut in half. Um, in the New Testament, we see the apostle Peter uh, for for starting um, the church and for spreading the word of God, gets crucified upside down. And the Apostle Paul lives his life in ministry once he submits to the ministry of sharing the gospel. Uh, he is shipwrecked several times. He is imprisoned. He's beaten and ultimately martyred. But they're, in a, um, they're with the Father at this point, so they get the ultimate long-term eternal victory in that. So... Satan's offering temporary relief from suffering, and Jesus isn't having any of that either. So, temptation number three, verses 9 through 12. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And stop right there. So, um, third way that Jesus, or that Satan's trying to thwart Jesus' attempts in obedience to the Lord is Satan attempts to deceive Jesus. With God's word. So, in the two previous attempts, Jesus is able to gain uh, prevail over Satan and, and stave off those those temptations with answering him with God's word. So Satan's going to go ahead and, and give that a try and use God's word against Jesus. We actually see the first sin and temptation um, when when Satan's tempting Adam and Eve. He twists up God's word. He says, God really say that about that tree? And so um, that's what kind of got, got him his first victory over Adam and Eve. And he's trying again here with Jesus. And I just want to point to you, look at Psalm 91.11. Um, it'll be up on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, turn there. Psalm 91.11 is, is, the, is the scripture that Satan is quoting here. 91.11 and 12. 
for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So, sounds familiar, right? It's exactly what Satan tried to use against uh, Jesus to, to tempt him in the wilderness. But Satan pulled up a little short, and he was talking to uh, a, a guy that does know God's word. He's actually referred to as being God's word in the Gospel of John. So if we look at, continue on, because, verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. So the reason that these, the, the, the angels will protect him is because he holds fast to him in love. Another way to put that is because he's obedient to him in love, right? So it's all about obedience. It's all about obedience here. And uh, that's the essence of this psalm. And Satan stops right before you get to what the real meaning of all that is, and that's the way he kind of works. If we kind of take, if we take a look at uh, this throughout Scripture, we see a lot of examples of, um, of the misuse of God's word and a lot of warnings about, um, about being deceived by the misuse of God's word. We see it, uh, Jesus warns about it. We see the Apostle Paul warn about it in 2 Corinthians. And that is the proper way to say it, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> see people listen to the news. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. So Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And this portion of the letter, he's, he's addressing the church regarding uh, some false apostles that have come in and infiltrated the church, trying to deceive these people uh, with uh, misusing uh, God's word and teaching improperly. So starting in verse 12, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. So fair warning by the Apostle Paul here. Um, <laughs> they've got some, some people who have been uh, in their church trying to teach God's word. Uh, disguising themselves as angels of light, maybe disguising themselves as a, as a preacher or, or something like that. And, uh, and they're not teaching it the right way. So my encouragement to you, and while you'll usually hear me and most of us up here, um, just encourage you to bring your Bibles and read them, is because we don't want you to be deceived or misled in any way. Because Satan can use God's word to manipulate and drive, drive you towards his purposes if you don't know what the word is, is trying to say and to teach. So just fair warning on that, and I just want to make sure that, that, uh, that you're watching your, yourselves in that way too. And I just want to make myself available anytime. If you have questions about anything I, anything I say up here, please help me and, and ask me because I, I, I don't want to be one of those guys. So um, let's go ahead and take a look at question number three. Satan, how does Jesus prevail over Satan? We'll read the last verse in this passage. Luke 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, 
he departed from him until an opportune time. So um, Jesus has two things in here. Jesus prevails in this instance, and then, um, and then he ends by saying he departed from him until an opportune time. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Satan come back uh, and, and try to get Jesus again. The answer to that is yes. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll look at an example of that. Um, Jesus, through focus on the Lord, Jesus prevails in his obedience. Through focus on the Lord, Jesus prevails in his obedience. So you notice that in this exchange, the only red letters, the, the letters that the, the words that Jesus spoke were of quotations from God's word. And, and he quoted them properly. Just trust me on that. Um, well, don't examine it. It's not, they're in Deuteronomy. I can get you a list of those. But he, he uses these properly and um, is able to have victory by completely focusing on God and God's word, what, what he's saying. So um, that's, how, that's the example that he gives us. We see some examples of this, some other places uh, in Scripture. This is one of my favorite illustrations. You might have heard it before. Uh, as it relates to focusing on the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. And this is when uh, Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, Is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So, when Peter, Peter recognizes the Lord and, and remains focused on the Lord, he's able to hop out of a boat and walk on water, right? So Jesus is carrying through, giving him some victory in that way and doing only something that Jesus could do and not himself. And as soon as he, Peter, was out in the middle of that water and turns his focus to the danger around him, the, the wind uh, and the storm, he begins, he begins to sink. And Jesus ultimately saves them there. But, um, but it's kind of a good illustration of if you keep your focus on, on the things of, of the Lord, that's, that's the direction you're, you're going to track. If you, if, you, if you focus on the things that, that Satan's using to oppress you and stuff like that, that's probably the way you're going to track. Anybody in here a skier? Tree skiing? Tree snowboarding? Anything like that? Yeah. So the first thing I was taught when I, when I learned how to uh, ski or snowboard in trees is you look at the tree, you're going to hit the tree, you look at the gaps between the trees, that's pretty much where you're going to go, right? So where you put your focus is probably where you're going to go. And so keep your focus on, on the Lord, just as Jesus did in this temptation story. So there's a cliffhanger left here at the end, and Satan departed him from him until an opportune time. And I didn't want to leave you hanging there. So let's take a look at another a uh, place where Satan shows up trying to keep Jesus from ultimate obedience in the Lord, um, trying to keep him away from the cross, because that's the biggest threat to Satan. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised, Easter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that just kind of wraps that whole third question up, doesn't it? Keep your focus on the things of God, not the things of man. Uh, Satan making one last attempt before Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, uh, to, um, to keep Jesus from going there. And, and so that's where... <clears throat> That's another spot where, where Satan comes back and he's going to throw everything he's got at Jesus to try to keep him from going to the cross. Um, so there we go. We answered those three questions, the, the temptation of Jesus and how Satan worked and ultimately how Jesus prevailed because he needed to be obedient and set himself apart from all of mankind so he could have victory on the cross and, and, and see that empty tomb on, on Easter Sunday. And that's where we're heading and I'm excited to take this journey with you all.